2: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Downton Abbey, A New Era.
3: Have you told them, Lady Grantham? She's told us nothing. Do sit down. I've come into possession of a villa in the south of France. What villa? (laughs) Start at the beginning. Years ago, before you were born, I met a man... They spend a few days together, and he gives her a house. You never thought to turn it down? Do I look as if I'd turned down a villa in the south of France? A telephone call for you, my lord. Mr. Barber is a producer and director. He wants to make a film at Downton. A moving picture at Downton. But
4: the becomes as famous ones.
3: I think it's a horrible idea. Actresses plastered in makeup and actors just...
4: There is something
3: about him, like a wild animal ready to spring ready to spring on you. You mean Action. Cut! Cut! Sorry the modern world comes to downtown Why do you think he gave you the villa that is where the mystery resides then go off to the Riviera and with any luck We'd miss the whole of Mary's frightful film. I do hope that was a prop you steer ahead you're the captain now. They would better be warned. The British are coming. Welcome to the Villa of the Doves. It's a beautiful place. How happy you must be. Oh my goodness. Who is she? The Lady Grantham I first went to work for. Granny. Why did you invite us here? It doesn't look good for Papa if she felt the need to keep it a secret. There's trouble in paradise. You don't need me to tell you that marriage is a novel full of plot twists along the way. Women like us fall into two categories dragons and fools. You must make sure they think of you as a dragon. With that I will say goodnight and leave you to discuss my mysterious past. It seems the public only want films that talk. I should have thought the best thing about films is that you can't hear them. It'd be even better if you couldn't see them either.
2: <laughs> All right everybody, you're just listening to the trailer for Downton Abbey: A New Era and the story is as follows. The Crawley family goes on a grand journey to the south of France to uncover the mystery of the Dowager Countess's newly inherited villa. The film is starring a huge cast of people, Hugh Bonneville, <laughs> Uh, Laura Carmichael, Jim Carter, Jonathan Coy, Brendan Coyle, Hugh Dancy, Michelle Dockery, Joanne Froggatt. God, there's too many people. Laura Haddock, <laughs> <laughs> Phyllis Logan, Elizabeth McGovern. Uh, who else is in this movie? Maggie Smith, Melda Staunton, Dominic West, Penelope Wilton. Yeah, it just it just goes on and on and on. The cast of Downton Abbey, ladies and gentlemen. This is directed by Simon Curtis, written by Julian Fellows. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman.
1: Hi, everyone.
2: And also joining us. Welcome back to the podcast once again, sir, from the film experience, Nathaniel Rogers. Hello. And also here we have the news editor of Collider, the managing editor of the entertainment website Wealth of Geeks, Maggie Lovett, first time on the podcast.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
2: No, thank you so much for being here to talk about this with us today. I know that uh, Nicole has been very, very excited ever since probably we did our last review of the first Downton Abbey movie to dive back into the world here of the upstairs-downstairs lives of the Crawley family. So, this is a sequel to the 2019 Downton Abbey, which performed very well at the box office. Critics also appreciated it. I mean, the show itself has uh, obviously accumulated a lot of... Uh, Fans over the years and has garnered a lot of Emmy Awards. And so a lot of people were wondering if this would actually work as a film. And coming together uh, as it did, I actually did feel that it worked. It didn't blow me away. Like I didn't think it was like one of the best films of the year or anything like that. But for fans of the show, it did what it set out to do. And now here we are again, only this time instead of the king and queen uh, visiting. This time they have Hollywood. Hey, look at that. Rumor has it in the third film, the WWE is going to visit Downton. We'll see how that goes. So. Okay. (laughs) A new era. Uh, Why don't we start off with Maggie, our guest here on the podcast. Maggie, in general terms, what did you ultimately think of this sequel?
5: So I loved it. Um, It hit all of the, the points that I was looking for for the movie. It carried over some really fun stuff from the series interesting points that were brought up in the first movie and it just, it did what it set out to achieve. And I'm happy because my favorite character is happy. So that's all I could have asked for.
2: And who's your favorite character?
5: Thomas Barrow.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good answer.
5: My bad boy. I love him.
2: <laughs> all right. Nathaniel, what about yourself? Uh, what's like your experience with Downton, the show and what did you think of the first movie and ultimately what did you think of a new era?
4: Um, well, I, I, also love this. Um, I loved the show, even though sometimes the writing was a little, <laughs> a little questionable at times. Um, but it's such a fun show, and I think the a new era is m- much stronger than the last film. Um, and I loved it from start to finish. I mean, can we get a shout out to its roll call beginning? You're listing all the names, but that's how they basically appear in the movie. <laughs>
2: the camera <laughs> panning over the cast in rough star order. True. It's a very, very giant cast of characters here, so much so that even... I had this problem kind of with the first film as well. I was worried that they weren't going to be able to give everybody their just due in such a short run time, you know? Yeah. But luckily, uh, they are able to avoid that uh, both times. Uh, at least, you know... I can understand if, like, if you have, like, a favorite and they don't really get that much to do, maybe there might be some level of disappointment. But now that we've had, like, two films to... Spend more time with these characters. I think that there are some characters even in this film that don't uh, that they get more of a spotlight on them compared to the first film. So I appreciated that balance. I just I loved that it wasn't about uh, Bates <laughs> because <laughs> he got so
4: much time in the series and like other people shine. There you go. All right, and Nicole, what did you
2: think of a new era?
1: Like you said before, I'm a huge Downton Abbey fan, and I was so excited for this film. And I think it does, like you you know, were just saying, Nathaniel, a really good job with all of its characters. I think Downton is maybe the best example of a show with a huge cast that's always done a really good job of making sure that every single character has their own storyline going on. It never feels like they completely drop a character who's still you know, there on the show unless they, they've actually left the show. And I think that this movie is the best example of that. I think the first movie is really frothy and fun, but this movie feels a lot more like the actual series. It has more of the emotional depth that the series itself had. And I also just absolutely am obsessed with the very like meta aspect of it in which obviously Downton has been filming at Highclere Castle for years now. And in this film, we see a movie come and film at Downton Abbey. And there's something very fun about that, knowing that, you know, they're they're filming on location at a house that this is how it has survived. And I really love all the different plot lines that we have going in this film. And obviously, of course, it's Downton Abbey, so it's gorgeous. You've got, you know, the gorgeous locations that they're filming on, costumes, everything like that.
4: Um, I also loved the uh, meta aspect of it. For some reason in my head I had interpreted that this would be all about the villa. And so I was just delighted that we had two main storylines and I actually preferred
2: the uh, movie storyline. Oh well, I mean, considering what industry we're in, how could we not?
5: <laughs> <laughs> right? But even I mean, Ohio.
2: They might as well have called this movie Singing in Downton.
5: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I loved how they incorporated that storyline in and like Nicole was saying, the meta stuff like had me absolutely rolling in the theater because, you know, like so many little things about like the cast members and like hearing them kind of like snark about different things with these actors that have come
1: to Downton and like it was just delicious meta content and I lived for it. Yeah, there's a lot of little in jokes in the film, too, I feel like particularly there's because there's several couples within the Downton Abbey cast now And there's even a little joke in there about the fact that Imelda Staunton and Jim Carter are married, which I really enjoyed. And I actually didn't realize until last week that Simon Curtis, who directed this, is married to Elizabeth McGovern. So it really feels like a family affair. And I think that's part of how Simon Curtis was able to get this down so well, is because he's been, you know, living on the edges of the Downton Abbey world for many years now. So he didn't have to do all that much learning to be able to take up this mantle.
2: I like that you said it's like a family affair there, Nicole, because in many ways when I watched this, uh, this one in particular compared to the last one, I really did feel like I was being like welcomed back into a warm and comforting kind of environment with people that, you know, we've grown to care about over the years. Now, I will freely admit, as I said this on the previous uh, podcast review that we did, I have not seen all of Downton Abbey, the show. I've seen the first season, and then from there I've only seen pieces of it. So I am kind of lost a bit on in terms of some certain character arcs and things like that. But for the most part, like, I get the general gist. And I remember, like, part of my... Um, you know, my, my my perspective of the first film was: Does this work as a film? As somebody who has not seen every episode of the show, like, can it be like a, its own standalone thing? And in some ways, yes, In other ways, no. But this one in particular, I actually felt it was able to do that better than the first film. Uh, I think the only thing that this movie really suffers from um, is that it, there are times where it can be like a little too light i think Uh, i i just don't know if it is as impactful as the show can sometimes be um but in a way it doesn't need to be because the show is over and this is kind of like just a cherry on top of a of a nice dessert And, and in a way you know we should just be grateful for what it is that we're getting we shouldn't be like i think that demanding of these downton movies to be delivering uh that much more and also, too, like we're talking about like these two plot points, right, with the, uh, the villa in the south of France and then the Hollywood uh, crew coming over to Downton to shoot there. what starts off as a silent film and then becomes a talkie. I, too, found the stuff at the Downton Estate to be more intriguing than anything that was going on in the villa. Uh, I think Hugh Bonneville. Actually gives a really good performance in this movie, and he's probably like my favorite aspect of the French Villa storyline. Uh, but I really loved, and I just felt, I felt much more invested in uh, Michelle Dockery's performance uh, with what was going on in the Hollywood storyline, where her character was going uh, as far as the trajectory goes throughout this movie. I don't want to give away any spoilers or anything like that, but I got to admit I was a little ultimately disappointed about how. Her storyline ended in this movie, but the journey itself that that character is going on was one that I found to be uh, endlessly fascinating.
5: I love what they were doing with uh, Mary's storyline, because without spoilers, it very much mirrors the storyline we're learning about Violet when she was younger. It's the exact same like summer of something, maybe. Um, And I liked how that was paralleling that because they make so many points of Mary being the next Violet. uh, And I think that just really solidified very similar storylines.
1: Absolutely. And to me, what made the sort of other storyline more engaging was viewing it from the perspective, you know, because I do think Hugh Bonneville gives a great performance in this. But also what's going on with Elizabeth McGovern, and she has a bit more of a plot in this than she's had in a while in Downton Abbey. Uh, She is one of the characters that I think often has sort of gotten sidelined and getting to see Cora sort of dealing with that and having seen it twice now, getting to see the hints of that earlier on in it, I think are really interesting. But also as a huge fan of Tom Branson, he's always been my favorite character, getting to sort of see him continuing to adjust to his place in this world changing I think is really interesting and and I love getting to see all the couples together and how their you know relationships are shifting over time and like Edith wanting to go back to work I think is a really fantastic storyline to have as a part of this and to get to see her as a working mother I think is fantastic.
4: I'm amused that ever, that all of us have different favorite characters, and I think that's one of the strengths, obviously, that they balance it so well, because Lady Mary was always my favorite character. Um, and, yeah, and they just, but everybody, everybody got, as you're saying, Tom had interesting things to do, and, of course, Barrow finally got um, something to do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think my favorite part of this movie was Maggie Smith. I feel like we're saving the best... Uh, we haven't even mentioned the best part of it.
1: Well, Maggie Smith is always the best part. So I feel like I don't even have to say it.
2: I agree with that aspect that, like, Maggie Smith is Maggie Smith. And we're already so in love with her. How much more in love with her can we possibly get? I, I do think, though, that uh, there is a bit of a reveal in the third act where her character really does take front and center in the narrative all of a sudden. And I don't know about you all, but I didn't feel like that was as properly built up as it could have been. And I say this because I do think that the split storyline between the Hollywood and the South of France, while sh- her focus is more so on the South of France storyline, and they are trying to like, kind of chart this past meets present sort of storyline, and as mentioned earlier, uh, connect that over to uh, Mary. I did I, I don't know I kind of felt almost blindsided uh by the third act with Maggie Smith like it kind of felt like it came out of nowhere even with all the foreshadowing of- I I understand the first, that but movie, I also
5: the first yeah. movie even had it yeah
2: yeah I and it's like I guess I should have seen it coming I suppose but like at the same time it it just felt like the movie took a turn in terms of tone I guess you know what I mean I think
1: the thing is that most Downton fans expected it to happen in the first film. Yeah. And I remember, like, after I watched the first film, being like, phew, okay, we're good. <laughs> uh, so I think it really felt like the, there, they've been building to this for a long time. And I think part of the thing is, though, that uh, it is meant to feel a little bit sudden, even though we're building to it, just because mm-hmm. of who Violet is. She seems untouchable yeah. in so many ways. And in this movie, we learn that in many ways she's not, that she has this sort of mysterious, perhaps scandalous past and that, you know, maybe her life wasn't exactly what we thought it was when she was a young woman. And then also we're reminded of sort of her physical frailty as well. And I think that that's a really interesting sort of a thing that we're we're seeing, you know, on multiple levels that maybe she's not the completely, you know, untouchable, strong dragon, uh, to borrow a phrase from the film, that she was sort of seen as for so long.
4: I think her her uh, big monologue in the movie um, where she talks about aging and herself as a young woman was like the most moving part of the movie. My best friend who... I've always watched Downton with he was totally crying (laughs) Um, and when she's talking about aging and that that it feels like you're visiting an alien world when you revisit your past. I thought was such a great way to tie in that the whole series has sort of been about the passage of time Mm. Um, and especially this one. I mean, it's called a new era, but if you think back to the show, it's like every season was them dealing with changes in society And changes in technology and changes in political, the political landscape. So they're always dealing with this. So I thought it was such a great way in the screenplay to tie everything together.
5: And even with the house, they bring some of that illusion. in, like the house is aging, the house is dealing with new things. They're having to find new ways to keep the house running. Uh, and I think that's another really good tool to kind of give this illusion of the passage of time because we have covered a ridiculous amount of time with Downton, not just with the series, but also between the movies, and just this very tumultuous, very uh, transient, very changing era for Europe and you know, the world at
2: large. I am really curious to know just in terms of like the future of the series, because it is so generational in terms of the current cast of characters that we have and characters are always having kids and things like that. Do you think it's possible that this series could have a very long sustained life? I'm talking like many years, even beyond where we are now, 15 years, they could still possibly be making Downton Abbey uh, stories, uh, obviously, the current cast would be older, and then maybe they could start focusing on a new, a new younger cast. Or do you think that this is something that they will uh, always want? They will always want it to be like a period, um, a period piece in its own way, and they don't, won't want to like continue it forever. You know, I would
5: absolutely love to see that. I would love to see like Sibby growing up, and oh, I would. Well, in this. Her- era
4: of nostalgia, of legacy sequels and uh, we're in such a heavy era of that with movies and um, nostalgia that it really made me wish like some other series would do this like I want to check back in with the Mad Men characters
2: you know yeah because that's like in a way as I was saying earlier like, like how this kind of felt was you have a time you know a period of time where you're away from these characters for a while and then we're coming back a few years later and yes like we are still seeing this passage of time that's taking place and that the world is changing, like you said. And I, I had this thought of, you know, there's so many different characters, characters are dying off, new characters are coming into the fold. And I just remember thinking, well, if this show decides that it doesn't want to be stuck so much in this time period, it wants to just keep moving beyond, as we're moving beyond as well in our time, like it will always be a period piece, but it can just, it can just keep moving forward. I wonder, like, you know, what other stories there are to tell uh, in terms of looking back on the past like this.
1: I remember looking and I believe during World War Two, Highclere Castle, you know, where it films, was used as a home for children who were evacuated out of London because of the Blitz. And I would love to see them sort of go through the 30s and into the 40s. And, you know, we obviously had a season that really dealt with the effect of World War One on Downton Abbey. I would love to have one that looks at what happens to Downton Abbey during World War II. I think there's a lot of potential still for these characters and for this house in particular. And to sort of examine what was it like for an English family of this caliber to continue to see them change their way of life. I think would be really interesting. and from you know everything that Julian Fellows has said, I think he's kind of, as long as the people are interested in doing this, he's interested in, in continuing to follow this series and see where it goes. And I'd even be interested in sort of some prequel stuff. like Violet is a fascinating character. I would love a film about her and her youth.
4: <laughs> Good luck trying to replace Maggie Smith. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> we took it all.
2: So I was mentioning before, characters are coming and going, and in this film, A New Era, one of the things that was um, a, you know, a selling point for a lot of people is that we have uh, a new cast of characters coming in from this like Hollywood storyline. So you have Hugh Dancy playing the director, uh, Jack Barber. You have Laura Haddock playing uh, this uh, old school actress who can't, unfortunately, like, use her voice very well, but she's stunningly glamorous and beautiful. Um, she, I think her name is Myrna, if I remember correctly. And then you have um, Dominic West, who's uh, coming in as Guy Dexter, who's the leading man of the film. And I really love the energy that all three of these actors brought to that Hollywood storyline. It made it feel fresh and exciting seeing these characters interact with these characters that we're more familiar with. And I thought that all three of them did a great job in their respective roles, especially – uh, Hugh Dancy and his uh, chemistry with Michelle Dockery. I really, really quite enjoyed that. Well,
4: in terms of continuing like the Hollywood storyline, even though everyone gets really involved in that, um, if if Downton Abbey continues, which part of me thinks it won't, um, even if this is a hit, those characters are going to be gone. You can't really, even though a lot of people get involved, you can't really have it taking place in Hollywood and, <laughs> and England, you know?
2: No, and that's like kind of the thing that I appreciate about this is that this, the, for those three characters I just mentioned, it does feel like a one-off. And in its own way, it almost felt like an isolated episode of the television show, albeit like an extended one. Yeah. And I kind of like that, you know, in a way. And so I hear you. Like, I don't think that those characters would return. I think the Hollywood thing is kind of like, been there, done that. I'm more of like the
4: people, the the Downton regulars who become involved with that storyline because there is some suggestion that, well, I don't want to give away spoilers, but like there is some suggestions that a few of them will be changed irrevocably by this, so we wouldn't see them again. Is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, yeah, and there's one payoff in particular for one character that I found to be incredibly heartwarming. Uh, I don't want to say who because I don't want to give spoilers, but
5: yeah, there's a couple really good payoffs for some of the Downton crew that got some really good payoffs thanks to the Hollywood storyline. But I mean, I do think that there is a potential for like Hugh Dancy's character to return because Downton like high clear needs a steady source of income. And if they're needing another grand estate to film another movie, it would make sense that he would probably return there. So, I mean, there, there's some room there, maybe not with the actors attached to the project, but another new source for income for Downton.
2: Now, I hope this isn't a spoiler by me asking this question, but where is Matthew Good? Right.
1: (laughs) He's, um, Uh, he's he's, busy.
2: (laughs) You know, in the first film, he popped up at the very, very end. And I really thought that they were going to do something similar in this one where they were like, Oh, there he is at the very, very end. And he just, isn't there at all. Like, is there just like a contractual thing? Is it scheduling? Like, I was just wondering like, where, where was he?
5: Matthew good was busy in Hollywood making the Godfather. I mean, the offer. (laughs) So he was a little busy.
1: (laughs)
2: So he was making good on his offer. Get it. OK, I see.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I do think that it's obviously it feels like it was a bit awkward them having to try to write around his not being there. Um, And I wonder if if this did go forward, I would actually be quite interested in seeing them perhaps do a plot line where Mary and Henry got a divorce because I would love to see. Robert's reaction <laughs> to a divorce in <laughs> the family.
4: You know what what I was really surprised by in the movie, and this isn't much of a, this isn't a spoiler, um, was the shout out to Dan Stevens. Because I really thought that they wouldn't bring up Cousin Matthew. Because like we moved on in the story in so many ways.
1: I felt like it was so heartwarming how both Matthew and Sybil felt so much like a presence in this film. Yeah. Even though, obviously, those characters have been gone for such a long time. It makes sense because, you know, they they were very integral characters for a lot of the show and and are obviously very important to these characters. And I thought the way that they sort of blended them into it made it so much even more heartwarming.
4: Yeah, there was a lot of fan service. Like, I was thinking during it, this is like... The superhero movie for people who are into costume. Oh, the way
1: that the moms in my screening last night were reacting to this was genuinely like watching an opening night Marvel movie. I mean people were like literally like yelling back to things like they were there was applause like mid movie a couple of times I was like y'all are living and I'm here for it
5: <laughs> I, there is n- almost nothing I love more than a Downton Abbey crowd because that was how the first yeah. movie how my audience was they were just absolutely living it and they come like dressed up and <laughs> it is like the biggest opening night for a very specific <laughs> demographic
2: it's amazing because, you know, in a world where so many people are dressing up for these superhero movies or for even television shows nowadays that garner like that same type of like fandom, something like the boys or Game of Thrones or things of that nature. There's the Downton Abbey fans <laughs> who are coming to the premieres dressed to the nines. And I I love that. I just love that it has this following, and there are people that are so invested in these characters, and thank God, like, Julian Fellows, like, continues to keep steering this ship, and I think that the writing is sharp and clever, and also really insightful in how he pushes the characters forward, Uh, even if, like I said, sometimes I'm, like, watching this thing and I'm getting scared, because I'm like, all right, we haven't checked in with this character in a while, oh, nope, there they are, and I'm always just, like, wondering how are they going to strike this balance uh, with a cast this big, but two times now uh they've proven that they are able to do it in this te- um not television but movie format and, and it doesn't have to be two and a half hours long like this was only what 2 hours
4: yeah and it, it moved so it was so well paced mm-hmm. that it just kind of flew by um there's no like dead spots in the movie um where do you, where you get those in those like blockbusters that are trying to service every character and give you little easter eggs <laughs> like yeah, yeah. The MCU, um, and it just was so fun, and it just flew by. But but when you were saying the writing was sharp, it, it totally made me think: what was going on with the Gilded Age? <laughs> with Because <Julian laughs> like, I was like, this is so fun, and all the characters are so good. So why is the Gilded Age so lacking in in fun characters? I don't know. Maybe
2: it's be, maybe it's the emotional investment.
5: I'm so glad I'm not the only one who found the Gilded Age to not have the same like fun feeling that Downton had.
2: Yeah.
4: Well, and it's strange because, like, it, the actors are so talented. So it's like, it, it's definitely the writing. I think they were trying too hard to recreate Downton as the problem rather than creating their own thing.
2: And also, too, this movie is funny. Yes. There's some genuine laughs in this that I was really enjoying. Not just with, like, the, you know, the stuff dealing with the Hollywood crew coming into Downton and, like, the, um, you know, members of the estate, like, getting really excited about wanting to join and such. But, like, even in the uh, South of France uh, villa storyline, which I think was definitely the more serious of the two, uh, you still had some moments of levity that this movie, it, it never had a, uh, it never had a tonal imbalance to me. You know, it felt very much pure in keeping with what the tone of the show is. And these movies are not trying to reinvent the wheel. And I and I very much appreci- appreciate that.
4: But at the same time, they it's not just empty fan service like because if you if you're too repetitive of what the series is then you have a problem yes i liked that they that they're experimenting enough um and they're moving it forward enough that it that it does both things well
2: so one at a time here uh nicole i'll start off with you who gave your favorite performance of the cast in this movie and which member of the cast that isn't in this movie did you miss the most
1: Okay, so I'm going to answer your first one with two people because the obvious answer for me is always Maggie Smith, and I do think she gave a really great performance in this. But the person who really surprised me was Hugh Bonneville because I felt like he got a bit more to do than he typically has gotten to do as Robert, and I thought that he was fantastic in this. And the person that I missed most was that I <laughs> I still just really miss Sybil. I've never gotten over
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Maggie?
1: So I
5: think my favorite performer was Hugh Bonneville. Um, that particular scene in the garden.
2: Oh, my God.
5: I saw like a baby from that same. point forward. And I had a migraine for like three days afterwards from crying myself so hard uh, after that scene. It was just so good. Um, and I've, I've always been a fan of his performance, but he just really like hit it out of the park with this one. And then in terms of, of characters that were in this one, I guess Matthew Good, Um I had like hoped that he would show up, even though everybody said ahead of the movie, he's not in this because he was busy filming the offer. Um, I still kept like vainly hoping that he would just like pop up at the end. Um, and I, I did feel like some of the working around him was frustrating
2: for me it's funny you mentioned that because i i do think back to how many times i've seen you know shows that like keep these grand secrets about spoilers or movies for that matter like with the mcu and like cast members are always lying in interviews all the time oh yeah they're, they're not in us yeah no 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 like that the, they weren't available for shooting we didn't shoot anything with them so uh, in a similar way i felt i felt the same way as you with Matthew good where i was like ah nah He's going to show up. Like, they're they're pulling our leg. But, uh, yeah, no, it wasn't meant to be, unfortunately. Nathaniel, what about you?
4: Um, well, I mean, for this movie, Maggie Smith all the way. Um, and I just want to say that I don't always feel that way about the show. Um, because, you know, everybody's like, oh, Maggie Smith, give her more Emmys and all that. But, um, like, she's always great. But she was not always my favorite part of the show. Um, and But I think that this movie is such a tribute to her in so many ways. And I think she just aced it. And in terms of who I miss, this is a really weird answer, um, but I still miss um, Sarah O'Brien, the Evil Lady's maid, <laughs> who left the cast so long ago. But I thought she she was so deliciously mean. And this, and in some ways, the Downton storylines lack a little bit of conflict now because you love everyone now. Like there's no villains ever. <laughs> now it's all like not just just fan service but you know there's nobody you, that you don't want to see get what they want
2: you know that's a very good point yeah i didn't really think about that while watching this but you're right there's no one in this that i would like kind of paint as antagonistic well maybe natalie bay who plays um
4: yeah but, which just feels so mean because she's yeah. going through her own thing and like it's so and then the other character well i'm not going to give spoilers about who's Pitched as a sort of a villain, they make sure that you love her by the end, which I thought was like a a little bit of a misstep. Um, And uh, yeah, I just think it could use a little more conflict.
2: Okay. Yeah. I mean, conflict creates drama, right? And drama is exciting. So I get that. I think that's like kind of like what I meant earlier when I said uh, that this just feels, every time I watch it, so delightful and light and it's nice and pretty and everybody's dressed well. And like, that's all well and good. But I like me some drama. I like me some juicy stuff that's going on. And, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like these, uh, the, the you know, th- these movies could use a little bit more of that. But I do think that in terms of the fan service and also pushing the characters forward, as I mentioned earlier, like this movie just strikes a balance that I am still kind of in awe of that it's able to achieve. Oh, and my, my favorite performance is Hugh Bonneville. I think I said that earlier. But that garden scene in particular with Elizabeth McGovern uh, just... Yeah, I'm on on the same page as all of you. I was like, why why am I getting misty-eyed right now? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I also really just want to give a shout-out to uh, Dominic West, who, man, you want to talk about some movie star charm that he was putting on in this, and I just, uh, I was a little worried about where his storyline was going for a minute with a certain character that I don't want to reveal necessarily. I was... Wondering because like Nathan, you were mentioning before, this movie doesn't really have an antagonist, and I was like kind of fearful that they were going to go that way with Dominic. Oh, okay. But they never did because uh, he he did strike me as maybe a possible mustache twirling villain type. Yeah, like like pulled pulled the rug out from under you. Exactly, you know? exactly. But we never but we never went there. I'm I'm grateful for that because I do think where that storyline ends up is a nice a, a nice moment in the end. Uh, so with all that said, uh, what I want to do now is I want to get over to final thoughts on Downton Abbey, a new era. I want to hear uh, if there's anything that we didn't talk about that you want to mention or something you want to reiterate. We could start off with Maggie. Maggie, final thoughts.
5: Oh, gosh. Um, I, I just I need it. This movie, I think, is like the best best thing to say like i had seen some movies that were exactly spectacular in the last couple of days and this was just like everything i needed um and going back to something we talked about at the beginning of the episode uh which was talking about um couples real life couples and the Downton, um, we didn't mention that laura carmichael who plays edith is married to michael c fox who plays andy so that is another real life couple <laughs> also in the set of Downton, which i think is just hilarious
2: i wonder like how many affairs there have been behind like doors that we don't know about amongst us. <laughs> i've, this I've cast. heard of you yeah i've heard
5: of a few <laughs>
2: <laughs> anything else
5: I think that's everything. I mean, I'm just so happy about Thomas's storyline. I have, I guess, a bit at this point uh, where I've only ever cared about Thomas Barrow. Like I even found a post of mine from like seven years ago when Downton ended. And I was like, what am I supposed to do without Thomas in my life? And then every time there's been any news of Downton getting a movie or a second movie, I'm like, if they do anything to Thomas... I'm fighting Julian fellows. <laughs> so I was just, that was the thing that I was like so happy about. And that was really just like, probably why I gave this like a five stars. Cause it's like, yes, happiness. That's all I cared about.
2: Good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Nathaniel, what about you?
4: Oh, final thoughts. I just I wanted to do a uh, Maggie Smith film festival afterwards. That's how I'm, I know I've already said it, but that's how much of a tribute to her. This is. Um, and I also want, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a, I was a little. This is gonna sound so sacrilegious at this point, since we all love the movie, but I was a little disappointed in the Thomas storyline, just because it just I, I I I liked the direction it went and what it did. Like I liked the whole movement of it, but I just wanted a little more. If that makes sense.
2: I, I don't want to get into spoilers so much, but I am I, I am curious to know, like w- when you yeah. say a little bit more.
5: I think oh. you and I are on the same page there. I meant, why is there no kiss? Because thank you. I'm like, right. The same That's why. When page. I was like, I'm, I'm like, when I'm on the same page with you, I'm like, why did they not kiss? When he, t- when he like tugs like, at his like collar in his little office and like kiss. This is a prime opportunity for a kiss.
4: Yeah, <laughs> and it, it didn't even need to be. It didn't. They didn't need to make out. But I just thought it was like a little weird to propose. No, I think they did. <laughs> no, but it, they, they
5: needs to make out, like on that desk. <laughs>
4: Well, that's. The, the, I think they were. If they, I, if they had kissed, I wouldn't have thought because it it did. It in some ways it seemed transactional what he was proposing. But if they had kissed, I would have felt like oh, this is just an excuse to have a romance.
5: Yeah, I, I unfortunately think it was Julian caving to his very white, straight, conservative audience. Um,
1: I think it made know. him feeling like perhaps he was already pushing the boundary as far as he could with that audience. Um, I think he could have gone farther. I was I, I, I was I was very disappointed. That there was no kiss. I don't think that they were unclear though in terms of what that was because he essentially is like I'm gonna be his wife at one point. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yes.
4: I'll I'll just say this about Downton. There's a way in which uh, Julian Fellow's obsession with like coupledom is kind of problematic. Like everyone always has to be paired off. Yeah. As if there are no single people in the world, right? (laughs) And so in that way, like a couple, it's not just Thomas. There's a couple other characters where like it's fun to watch people be paired off and be set up and, you know, all the other things that happen in the series. Yeah. Um, But sometimes it feels a little forced, like every single person, you know, has to get married or the equivalent of, you know. Okay. I get that. But overall, I totally, uh, totally loved it. And I was like really happy with the movie.
1: All right. Nicole? My advice is if you haven't seen it yet and you can go see it this weekend in a theater, definitely do. Because like we've said, Downton Abbey crowds are like no other. Uh, it's, it's a really fun environment to see it in. I think that people who are fans of this are going to be super happy with this movie. I think that people who get dragged along to it by people who are fans are still going to find something enjoyable in it. And I really do think that Downton is one of the best examples of a series that has ended and then done movies that felt, you know, really like they kept their integrity to the um, to the spirit of the show and like they were able to carry on what the show was doing without just feeling like cash grabs. I feel like this is a natural evolution of the show and that makes me really happy. I would love to get to return to Downton Nabby in the future, but if this is the end, then I think it's a really fitting end to, for these characters.
2: Uh, I do want to say that I think that Simon Curtis did a really good job of stepping in the uh, shoes of Michael Engler from the first film. And it felt very much a companion piece to the first movie stylistically. Um, that's also helped by the fact that uh, John Lund's uh, score, that iconic theme, uh, is all prevalent here, and the music is just lovely. The costumes are also just, you know, as as gorgeous as ever. In, in, in a lot of cases, there's a couple here that I thought were truly just, like, awe-inspiring to just even just marvel at. Uh, so if on a technical level, like, A New Era definitely upholds the as you said, kind of the integrity of the show and the look and feel of the show and feels very much as a piece of a whole, which I really appreciate. Like they're not, like I said, trying to reinvent the wheel and do something totally different here. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Kevin Doyle as, uh, Bosley. I really, really enjoyed, uh, everything that he did in this film, especially just where his character ends up at the end. All things considered uh, and I think that's like kind of the thing that we were saying before there's a lot of fan service in this It's kind of hard to walk away from Downton Abbey a new era feeling like oh, well, that didn't give me what I wanted. That was not fun. <laughs> that was not a good time <laughs> I would be very shocked to hear somebody say that now you can say that it's light and it didn't really do much to set your world on Fire or anything like that. Okay, fine, but As kind of like Maggie said, you know, I think that this is just meant to be a nice, warm, delightful hug of a movie and and, a welcome, a welcoming back to a cast of characters, a world and just an overall feeling that uh, we've missed over the last couple of years without the show. Uh, So these movies are they're gifts. You know, it's the best way I could put it. They're they're gifts to the fans, and I really like just appreciate that. Even though they have these awkward moments where some cast members, like Matthew Good, as we said before, can't be involved, it seems like the cast are all very happy to be reprising these roles, coming back together, introducing new members of the cast. Like there's just a lot of energy that you sense uh, from uh, the cast interactions, and also just the crew that worked on this to put all of this together. So how could I be upset with this? I I just, it's, yeah. Anyway, and then you throw in the Hollywood stuff. Come on, like you're speaking to my heart here, you know? Uh, Overall though, hmm, I'm probably going to be on the lower side of things. So I apologize. I know it sounds like I've been gushing a lot here, but uh, I'm going to give it, What I ultimately gave the first film, actually, no, maybe I am, no, because I think I do prefer this more to the first film. I don't know. (sighs) Because the first film I gave a 6 out of 10 to, you know what, I'll give this one a 7 out of 10. I I enjoyed this more than the first, and so I'll I'll give it that uh, rating. Overall. And, you know, I'm sure that if I had seen like every episode ever of Downton Abbey, this would probably be like an eight, I'm sure, <laughs> because it definitely seems that for those that are more familiar with the show than I, uh, that, you know, this is a very highly rated, enjoyable piece of entertainment. So seven out of 10 for me. Nathaniel, what about you?
4: Yeah. Um- well, I mean, it's it's difficult for what it's trying to do. It's like a 10 out of 10. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a film, I would say, eight out of 10. But I, I do want to say it's like it's hard to rate uh, things like this as films because so much of your emotional investment is from like hours and hours and hours of time spent. with Exactly. Yep. So I would say that if this were still the television show, it would be one of my very favorite seasons of the entire show.
2: Nice. Yeah, I definitely think that's important to keep in mind when we're hearing everybody's ratings here. Context, 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 context. It's always important.
4: So I would say 8 out of 10 as a movie. Yeah. But as a fan of the series, one of my all-time favorite seasons. Love that. Nicole, what about you?
1: I'm an 8 out of 10. I do think, like, it's a really, really lovely film. There's nothing, you know, particularly... overly exceptional about it from like a craft standpoint it's very solid and very well done but i do think you know it it is that thing of i think it's everything that it could possibly be yeah maggie
5: so i when i approach a movie like i let it start five stars and then i take away points as things like don't hit the mark for me, et cetera, et cetera. So this didn't get any stars taken away uh, as I was watching it. So it's a solid five for me because it hit all of the points that I was looking for coming into it. It paid homage to this, the series, it connected things from the movie, the characters all had, you know, for a huge ensemble cast, they all had their own little storylines that all came to a close at the end. Um, there was a lot of really good payoff. There was a lot of, you know, really good um, interpersonal conflict kind of moments for the characters that were kind of overdue for them, like for Cora, for instance. So it it didn't lose any points for me. So I'm giving it a five out of five um, because that's just how I, I grade movies.
2: And a five out of five on our scale kind of it equates to a 10 out of 10. You're standing by that. Just want to be clear.
5: A hundred percent. Yeah, I didn't have any problems with it.
2: All righty. Uh, And then when we talk about Oscar prospects for a Downton Abbey, a new era, you know, Nicole and I, we were talking about this before because the 2019 film came out in, uh, I think it was September, if I remember correctly, uh, somewhere around that time. So it was more primed up to be a possible award season contender, especially for costumes. People were wondering, oh, will Maggie Smith be able to translate from Emmys to the Oscars? None of this ultimately ended up happening. It didn't score any nominations. And with this being released in the middle of spring and May, I would I would say that the chances for this are actually lower compared to the last one. Would you would you agree?
1: I would agree. But I do think that if they played their cards right, they could make a campaign for Maggie Smith for this one because of things that happened in this film. I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this without spoiling it. Well,
2: it's like what Nathaniel said before. It's like a tribute to her.
1: Yes, and I think it could remind them that this might be a good time to give her another nomination. Um, So I I could see them trying to make a go for it. I don't know that I could actually see it happening, but you never know I mean I feel like we didn't expect a lot of what occurred with last year's Oscars so I wouldn't completely rule it out but I wouldn't bet any money on it
4: Nathaniel do you agree um yes and but even even things like the costumes which I think are really really fun in this movie particularly no spoilers particularly the last act had so much fun with costumes yes yes um that I I mean I could see it a, a a very strong campaign happening. I just don't think like when a, when a series becomes a movie that they take it as seriously just by nature.
2: All right. Um, I don't really have anything else to add to that because I do think it kind of stops and ends uh, with costumes and Maggie. I don't really see it going any further. And I think that that point you just made there, Nathaniel about it being a TV uh, show that is translated over now into the cinematic medium, And in many ways feels like a continuation of the show like there really isn't like that uptick in production quality budget or anything like that that would be different compared to the show so i don't see like who's chomping at the bits to want to reward this necessarily like on that level and then you know you factor in the early release date and yeah i just i don't see it personally although it would be very very lovely and very nice to see maggie smith get um you know another chance at recognition again because you know Can't get enough of giving Maggie Smith awards, right? (laughs) So, I mean, she's she's eight, seven, like she is. Yeah.
4: You know, yeah. Time's it's done. She hasn't been nominated since Cosford Park.
1: I maintain this could remind them that this is the time to do it if they want to do it again. I agree.
2: We will see. All right. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for joining us here on the show for the first time. We really appreciated having your presence here. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet.
5: Thank you so much for having me. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Maggie of the town. And I have a link tree in my bio to all of my various pursuits. It is far too long to list out here on the air.
2: Now she's one of the hardest working people right now on the internet. So definitely (laughs) give her a follow people. (laughs) Thank you. Nathaniel, what about yourself? I'm on Twitter at
4: Nathaniel R. And you can find me at thefilmexperience.net. And I'm sure I will talk more about Downton Abbey.
2: (laughs) And let's also be honest here. If you're following Next Best Picture, you're following the film experience. Am I right? (laughs) Well, if I'm not right, follow it, people. (laughs) Nicole?
1: You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and... Letterboxed at Nicole Ackman sixteen.
2: And I mean, if you're not following Nicole Ackman, then shame on you. That's all I have to say <laughs> about that. I'm really
1: pushing this letterbox. I don't. I, I'm trying to become a letterbox influencer. I don't know what I'm doing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me a next best picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the next best picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time.